This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. We're broadcasting today at the National Association of State Chief Information Officers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, on the occasion of NASIO's 50th anniversary. Our guest today is Todd Kimbriel, Texas Chief Information Officer. So welcome to Ask the CIO SLED Edition, our state and local program, Todd. Good to have you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, listen, we're, uh, we're about halfway through the conference, maybe a little bit more. Um, you've been CIO for how many years? Uh, five years now. So this is your fifth fifth oh, conference? Oh, no, it's more like 12th. No, no, no kidding. You came here while you were before you were state CIO. I was CIO. in training. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's nice that you got uh, that kind of a background. It's a great organization, isn't it? Yes, it is. is you've been Good. officer, what, uh, vice president? Vice president this year, yeah. And uh, NASIO does a great job of really representing the collective will of the state CIOs and presenting that at the federal level. Yeah, it's a program that uh, when I was, uh, when I joined when I was CIO in Massachusetts back in, uh, I guess it was 93, believe it or not. I was showing people, I even, I even kept my, uh, kept the badge, I got the tag, my NASA badge there. <laughs> That's uh, a miracle I held on to that because I can't hold on to anything. <laughs> but uh, I really found that even back then it was a very, very uh, enriching experience and, and being able to sit down with your peers and go over some of the the uh, mutual problems that you all have, it's, uh, it really helped. Absolutely. So, our, you know, our, our, on Sunday, every conference is kind of the, the member open mic day. And uh, we start at 9 in the morning. We go until 4 in the afternoon. And it really is the place where all the states come together as the CIOs plus our, our partners, our delegates who come with us. Uh, and we really do exactly that. We share what, what are our common challenges, what are our successes, how did people overcome certain objectives or, or certain barriers, uh, and the ability, it, it's amazing that in the public sector, and this never happened in the private sector, I spent most of my career in the private sector, the ability to come to be- together and share openly is something that is so unique to public sector, and mm-hmm. it's so rewarding and gratifying to be able to share, you know, projects that we've done that have been successful and share that with other states through the NASIO connection. It's, it's really a, a You called great. it the open mic. That's a relatively new phenomenon at NASIO. Tell us more about that. How does it work? Everybody just voluntarily goes up there and, and uh, stretch their stuff, so to speak? Or? Yeah, we, we solicit feedback from the executive committee on uh, topics that uh, may be relevant uh, on any given year. One year it's a uh, cloud, maybe it's uh, you know Office 365 or cloud, uh, cloud mailbox uh, email. Uh, another year it might be uh, database related. Another year it might be, you know, how do you solve uh, ransomware attacks? Mm-hmm. How do you prepare and prevent for ransomware attacks? How do you deal with certain issues? So the topics can change, but typically we'll start with, you know, maybe a dozen or so topics. Uh, and we start with a topic and we see where the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. We may get a planned uh, 30 minutes, uh, 30 minute dialogue on one topic. Uh, and the first 15 minutes of conversation address that topic, and then the next 15 go off on a tangent that was completely sure. unexpected, but delivers a tremendous amount of value because the audience jumps in and, mm-hmm. and engages completely in that yeah. dialogue. So it's very, very meaningful process. Yeah, and fun too. I think everybody enjoys themselves here. It's uh, it's a well taken care of. We had uh, our friend, Executive Director Doug Robinson, in here an hour or so ago uh, talking about uh, he's a great reveling man. in his uh, 20 years, he's 20 odd man. years of yep. participation at, at NASAR. Uh, you've been very involved with NASA. I know you, speaking of, of uh, yesterday, you kicked off 
the uh, Corporate, Corporate Leadership, Leadership Council. Council yep. Tell us a little bit about the highlights that you brought up at that event. Um, so the Corporate Leadership Council is really our partners, the private sector communities that really service and work with the public sector organizations. So those are the partners that we actually buy services and products from. Um, and they're members through the Corporate Leadership Council. Um, so as such, we share in, certainly in the, in the state of Texas, uh, we have a mutual customer, and that is the agencies that, that use their services and use my services. Um, so it's an unusual relationship. Um, the purpose yesterday was just to do a, an unfiltered conversation about where is NASIO going, where is, where is IT going, where do we see from a state perspective, uh, what is the strategy, what is the evolution of technology, where are we at today, where are we going to be in five years, what are the important things that we want our partners to know uh, so that they can plan their go-to-market strategies around those elements that are really important for states. Um, so we talked about uh, we talked about ransomware a little bit, but we certainly talked about the increasing amount of collaboration that occurs between the states through NASIO. Um, and we also talked about things like innovation and what is the role of innovation. And uh, I certainly shared that uh, from my perspective, my point of view, that, that organizations that have created a chief innovation officer uh, have to be very, very careful. Uh, in many cases, the creation of that role sort of absolves the whole rest of an organization from trying to be innovative because they think, well, that's mm -hmm. that guy's job, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, in reality, uh, a, good, uh, a good strategy for a chief innovation officer has to be that it's not that that person, he or she, comes up with the innovation. It's that he or she is responsible for creating the environment that fosters innovation. Yeah, that was a good point. I remember right. that. I also remember one of the questions that was asked about, you know, we've got so many chiefs now anymore, the chief innovation officer, chief data officer, chief privacy officer. It's tough to keep them all apart. And a lot, and a lot of times, I mean, their, their position in the organization charts all over the place, right? That's right. Exactly right. And a lot of times you feel, mm, I wish I could have that under my roof. But then again, maybe it's sometimes I say, okay, I can wash my hands of that privacy issue right. for a while. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but no, you can't. Yeah. No, you can't. Um, uh, speaking, you mentioned ransomware, and you were you were also involved in a panel breakout session on that. Tell us I about was. that, because Texas has been in the in the, in the headlines over the last several several we have, months yeah, now. Yeah, so we 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 did have a a, a pretty broadly communicated uh, ransomware event on August sixteenth, Friday morning, two two forty six in the morning. Mm. Uh, first, uh, the the twenty three organizations were impacted. It was all uh, local government organizations that were simultaneously hit. Um, fortunately, uh, the good story is, and of course this is true of all organizations, you cannot prevent the attack. You have to be able to, to respond to the attack when it happens. Fortunately, we had spent several years preparing for something like this. We have a statewide incident response plan that we had put on the shelf in our state operations center. We had cleared the decks with the, the folks that run the state operations center to get them to incorporate cyber as part of their mission. Previously, uh, they had only been uh, activated for a natural event. And a cyber event is dramatically different than a natural event in many ways. But having that mechanism activated was critical to our success of being able to, to really respond and eradicate uh, uh, to that event within, within a week. We're speaking with Todd Kimbriel, Chief Information Officer for the state of Texas. Please continue. Uh, one of the things that, that I've noticed, uh, a new word in my lexicon anyway, is, is ransomware insurance that I learned about from Alan Shark, who's here with the Public Technology Institute. And certainly the local governments that, like you say, are kind of at the forefront, at least of the targets. It's a target-rich environment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's the deal with the insurance program, if you will? 
I, I'm a little concerned about insurance generally. I don't think the market is matured enough. I think, uh, you know, the underwriters don't have enough evidence to, to be able to accurately uh, do their job of, of successfully building a underwriting strategy. So I think as a result, in many cases, an organization may pay for services uh, protection that they're never going to trigger, or they're paying too much for the services that they do trigger. There's not enough standardization or maturity in that marketplace yet. So I think it's a, a tricky area for somebody to go into. And, and I, my, my recommendation or advice to any organization thinking about going in that direction would be buyer beware. Make sure you understand what protections you're getting and make sure what what expectations are placed upon you, the consumer, uh, by that policy to make sure that you are adhering to the requirements of the policy if mm-hmm. you ever expect to make a collection under that, that policy. And kind of regardless of the caveats, I was shocked at how many uh, uh, local governments actually have ransomware insurance. I'm surprised as well. Yeah, I mean, it was... I, the weird thing is uh, we have a case in uh, in one county, a small county in Texas, that earlier this year uh, was attacked, had a ransomware event, uh, reached out to us. They got a, a ransomware request of uh, $2 million, uh, and they responded back to the, the perpetrator that, uh, sorry, they don't have that kind of money. And uh, so the perpetrator came back and said, well, how much can you afford? And they said $8,000. So the perpetrator said, give me your $8,000 and I will give you the key. And so sure enough, so they negotiated the ransom. That's a uh, nervous uh, conversation to have, I, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, now, I'm not quite sure how the underwriters factored that into, yeah. uh, you know, a, a possible insurance claim. Well, I know that this Public Technology Institute event that I went to in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, uh, which was 90, 90% uh, local governments, about a third had insurance and about a third were going to go home and get insurance. That's, that's kind of the way it was because uh, the fact seemed to be with the people that were affected that the uh, uh, insurance companies encouraged them. To pay the ransom because it's much more they, they'd be much more exposed i guess the insurance company that is through media remediation efforts and have it back you know download all the backup systems and, and repeat it all over again right yeah i, I mean i would still think that uh, the the local <coughs> local government would be better placed the 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 budget restraints that they have, the, the funding constraints that they have, I think are, are serious and, and difficult to overcome. I think they really need to be taking that money and putting it into improving their, their overall technology deployments, improving their network segmentation to uh, establish a better defensive posture, and, and really focus on trying to prevent some of these things through better IT technology hygiene and best practice. We'll take a short break now. Our guest has been Todd Kimbriel, Chief Information Officer for the State of Texas. Thanks for taking the time to be with us, Todd. We really appreciate it. Thank you, John. I appreciate the opportunity. We're broadcasting today at the National Association of State CIOs Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, on the occasion of the 50th anniversary. We'll be right back with our guest in just a moment. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Side effects from treatments like chemotherapy might one day be dramatically reduced by a new method that delivers drugs to a specific target. The drug target is a liquid that's injected through the skin at a site such as a tumor. Inside the body, temperature turns it into a gel that remains in place within tissue for up to about 45 days. Matthew Weber, a chemical engineer at the University of Notre Dame, says then a drug is equipped with a special chemical and given to the patient. That chemical actually weakens the drug as it circulates in the body, but when it finds the gel, it attaches like a key in a lock and releases the drug into the tumor. So you could administer a big dose of this attenuated compound, have a lot of it concentrate to the side of our gel. Otherwise, if it doesn't find our gel, it's just cleared in urine within the matter of an hour or so. Weber says this molecular
molecular zip code drug delivery is potentially tens to thousands fold better than some of the other methods used to target drugs. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and we're broadcasting today at the National Association of State Chief Information Officers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, on the occasion of NASIO's 50th anniversary. My next guest is Ed Toner, Chief Information Officer for the State of Nebraska. So welcome to Ask the CIO Sled Edition, Ed, our state and local show. We're glad to have you here. Thanks, John. We just left a uh, presentation on, uh, I guess, the next 50 years was one way to look at it. And I know it was very impressive, and uh, there's some big changes ahead. And certainly the theme of uh, this NASIO conference is, has been to look ahead to the future, as well as to look back on all the accomplishments of the past. Why don't you tell us about uh, your impression of the conference so far? And I know you're participating in a number of events over the course of the three days. Yeah, I, I've had a great time to get so many people together with like minds and like problems is just an incredible uh, opportunity uh, as well as the vendor community to come in and I always feel like the vendors have the great solutions uh, I can give them a problem and uh, I, I have several trusted uh, vendor contacts that can tell me uh, where to go next right so often you know we, we try to solve the problems ourselves and sometimes it's better to ask around and uh, copy that's always a good one. Yeah, and, and that's certainly uh, the ability to, the networking abilities at an ASIO conference, I think, are, are top in any, uh, in any evaluation of, the, of the, the value of the event, I guess I would say. Uh, and not only with the, the vendor community, the vendor partners, but also with your colleagues from other states. Absolutely. I think a lot more work gets done in the hallway than in the <laughs> conference room. I think you're right about that. And that's why I think those speed networking events that they've initiated the last couple of years have really brought a, an extra something to the event for everybody. A lot of times they can't uh, get a chance to actually spend any time really talking directly to CIOs because this group has gotten so large. Oh. I think there's 850 people here. Yeah, it's six. huge. The CIOs are certainly outnumbered. So what is your role in, uh, in the NASIO conference? What are you doing? Um, well, I'm an executive committee member, and in a, just a couple of minutes, I'm going to go over the uh, CIO survey from last year. Um, it was done by Grant Thornton um, in cooperation with CompTIA, and uh, it really shows a lot of um, an insight into where we're going just like you were talking about where are we going in the next 50 years this is a good one to say where are we today mm -hmm. uh the survey was uh very well done and it really gives us uh, a starting point or a benchmark to see i hope we continue to do these every year to see if we've actually made any progress mm -hmm. and we've been doing them for a number of years can you uh give us a hint on what's going to come up in the next session i don't know i'm afraid that they probably invited me because i answer totally different than every other cio and i think john you know that i have a different view than a lot so uh, uh i was suspicious when doug uh the head of NASIO decided that he wanted to put me on the stage. I was, I was, uh, I was thinking, well, he's a brave man. 
<laughs> well, it, as usual, I expect we're going to see security, cybersecurity front and center. Right. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all rolls out, and that'll be in the next session. What else are you doing while you're here? Um, really, I'm just reconnecting with, you know, a lot of the vendors. Uh, you know, this is where they bring out their execs, and so I have a chance to talk with them and see how things are going. They always want to t kind of take a, a pulse of, you know, how is our local reps doing, uh, you know, everyone wants to know the, the projects and things, and that's great. But, but I, I really get a lot more value out of talking to, um, you know, the upper management of uh, each of my critical vendors and letting them know where, where maybe some improvements can be made uh, in interacting with my staff or interacting with the state of Nebraska and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, really kind of level setting our expectations uh, a little bit. And it's, you know, those kind of conversations are really hard to have over the phone. Mm -hmm. You have to have those conversations, especially if they're not positive, they have to be face-to-face. -face. Right, right. You know, you mentioned this uh, and alluded to the whole issue of that becoming a, a trusted IT advisor, a vendor becoming a trusted IT advisor to government. I think it's a role that all vendors probably aspire to, but very few seem to be able to, to make it to the end of that uh, race. What is your uh, advice to vendors that want to become that trusted IT advisor in your state? Get out of your lane. You know, don't sell your product, sell a service. And if that means it's not that, that you're not going to benefit from this to get contacts, they, all the vendors know each other. They know who's got uh, solutions. Um, and so even when they're not going to benefit from it, uh, they will benefit because of the fact that if they point me in the right direction, if they say, well, that's not really our bailiwick, that's not what we do, but you know what, I'm going to reach out to a buddy that, you know, does have uh, that. And so that becomes a trusted advisor right there where they do work for you that, uh, you know, they get no profit from, uh, and, and that really means a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the awards dinner is tonight. Are you participating in that? Uh, I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, we didn't... Um, we put in an award, but we didn't know the rules where you couldn't win two years in a row in the same category. No, so no that, that's where I didn't do my homework. <laughs> uh, we are um, a cloud provider now for the state of Nebraska uh, with our two data centers. All of the agencies, of course, we're consolidated. All the agencies use us. So essentially, we, we fit the definition of a cloud. But we also have 84 of the 93 counties in our cloud. Uh, we have uh, the city of Lincoln in our cloud. We also have uh, – we share – an environment with Douglas County, which so uh, that's the largest county in, in Nebraska. So we sell to them. Uh, we manage the mainframe from Lincoln. Um, we monitor, provide 24 by 7 monitoring. So in our rush to consolidate agencies, we ended up consolidating the state. So now we just call it the Nebraska Cloud because uh, we run uh, two active, active data centers. And so we give them the reliability and uh, security that they need. And so it's uh, every day we're getting questions about, can I join the Nebraska cloud? That's interesting. Uh, expanding, everybody thinks of the state as the provider for the state agencies, but moving out to local government services, whether it's on security issues, which we've heard a lot about, yep. and certainly in the case of the data center, how did that get started? What was the kernel? The governor and I talked about the fact that, you know, we were very siloed in Nebraska. He wanted to see it, you know, as a businessman. He you know, compared it to, you know, 20-plus agencies that are companies that never merged well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, essentially, we had gone through eight mergers together, and uh, he just said, well, you've done this before, just merge these folks. Mm -hmm. um, and we did, and it turned out to be not just – and he was really attacking uh, the cabinet agencies. We now have over 60 
uh, agencies that have joined us. And, uh, you know, Secretary of State, Public Service Commission, as I said, cities, uh, counties. Um, and, uh, you know, we're getting calls now from cities that are worried about ransomware and things of that sort. And I was going to ask about that. Yeah, they said, uh, you know, how can you protect us? And uh, my answer is, well, come on in. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that makes a lot of I, sense. I, I can protect you inside my walls, but mm-hmm. I can't protect you well right. uh, if you're not. And here's our rate sheet. And so it's public. And so if it becomes more uh, efficient for them to come uh, and join us, then uh, they do. Uh, and certainly security-wise, ransomware and all that is a powerful incentive. We heard from uh, Todd Kimbrell from Texas mm-hmm. about all the work that the state of Texas has done supporting local governments and all their ransomware attacks. Right. And that you're having the same uh, the opportunity there, I guess, in Nebraska to provide the same type of services. Absolutely. Yeah. And they just um, look at our rate sheet, and if it's uh, an effective, cost-effective proposition, they can join us. Yeah, and I would think they'd be crazy not to, and yep. particularly in from the uh, just the security aspect, if nothing else. Well, tell us what else is hot in Nebraska these days. Um, you know, we got through some really big uh, projects, uh, very successfully upgraded our vehicle title registration just this weekend. Uh, labor. All uh, set un- for real, real ID? Yeah. Uh, labor last week released a a brand new platform Mm -hmm. with very little issues uh we updated our erp system so we we um we've we've been three for three right now and then next year our big one is uh we're going to be focusing a lot on uh the no wrong door uh for dhhs one front end uh we're going to start that so that uh, anyone coming in looking for services they have one entry point that's uh-huh. been a panacea that people have been looking for for 30 years since I've been in this business. Uh, so Nebraska's going to make it happen. Yeah, we hope. We're just getting started, so I'm not going to promise anything uh, at all. But because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the last one to ever tell you if it's something I'm going to do. It's something that I've done, mm-hmm. and that's it. Uh, we have successfully gone through application portfolio management, eliminated about uh, more than 10% of our applications, um, which is a big cost savings. Uh, so that one... That one we have done, but we're going to continue. That'll go on forever. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll continue to, to update that project. Um, the DHHS one, we'll wait and see how that comes out. Uh, until I get further into it, I can't make any guarantees. Yeah. Well, I just remember the the idea of, uh, I think it used to be called one-stop shopping for folks yep. that wanted to uh, uh, determine what services were available or benefits were available yep. for their situation, particularly on the lower economic mm-hmm. scale. It was uh, a lot of times they had to go from social office to social service office to yeah. to be able to get that yeah. determination. But now with the tools we have available, you think that process will become a lot more uh, right. a lot more it, easy. It, it's not going to be uh, you know short term. You know, um, the governor has three more years, and and he would love to see something like that before he leaves office. So we've mm-hmm. got about a three year horizon. Um, and as we get closer, I'll be talking more about it. Right now, it's just. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 something that's been you know on my whiteboard that's about yeah. it right now well that would be a heck of a legacy i'll say that to get I, something like that done I'd, I'd love to well ed it's been great to have you as usual uh with that we're going to have to conclude our program today i want to thank our guest ed toner chief information officer of the state of nebraska and thank you ed for taking the time to be with us always enjoy it john thank you all for listening content from this state and local program which also includes curated news and original articles but yours truly and other more esteemed authors is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn.
You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.